0: Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening.
1: We are back in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6 this morning. I'm so glad that you're here for one of the most famous well-known Bible stories ever. Like if you ever taught children Sunday school, you love the story of Daniel in the lion's den because you can keep kids busy for hours with Daniel in the lion's den, but it's more than a story. It's real history, and there's so much to learn from this story of Daniel 6 for life today today in the 21st century. Now, we're gonna be after today, halfway through our study of the book of Daniel. If you've never come to Abundant Life, and this is your first day, we love studying the word of God line by line, and our major study this year is the book of Daniel. So, uh, there's a lot of questions I know that I cannot begin to cover on a Sunday, and I hope to maybe help you with some of those. So, we're gonna do an open Q&A, kind of an open forum, Sunday night, mark it down, June the 12th, 430 in the afternoon, you come ask anything you want, something you don't quite get, don't quite understand. That's why we're gonna do this together on that Sunday afternoon. It was nineteen forty five. The communists had just come to power in Romania. They had gathered hundreds and hundreds of Romanian pastors and clergies from all over the country into one place at one time. They were having a public radio broadcast throughout the country as one pastor after another, after another, after another stood up to speak up and say that they believed communism and Christianity were indeed compatible, and each of these pastors were swearing their allegiance to the Communist Party. But there was one pastor among the hundreds that realized this is not true. See, he'd been a former communist till, till he came to faith in Christ in 1938. His name was Richard Wormbrand, And he knew that Marxism makes war on religion, that these are not compatible, that it would be the end of the freedom of worship forever and ever. His wife Sabina is sitting there with him. It's getting closer and closer to his time and his name and his number to be called. And she leans over to her husband and says, Richard stand up and wash away the shame from the face of Christ. As one pastor after another had sworn allegiance and loyalty to the communist party having formally sworn the same allegiance to Christ only. He looks at his wife and says, "Sabina, you know that if I speak up, you will lose your husband." To which Sabina looks at her husband and says, "I don't wish to be married to a coward." And so in the next few moments, this is indeed what he did. He'd make a stand and he would wind up in a lion's den where over and over again, pastor after pastor had preached that communism and Christianity are indeed compatible. Instead, when he stood up, he took the radio mic and he began preaching the cross and Christ and him crucified, that there is one king, his name is Jesus, one Lord, his name is Jesus, he is king of kings and Lord of lords, and we should bow to no other, that Christ died for ourselves that he rose again that began to change in the auditorium people began to applause one of those communist officials stood up and he began to yell your right to speak has been revoked but he continues to preach and it was the first time in a long time that the gospel was heard in Romania and it would be the last time for almost 50 years And on this night, Richard Wormbrand indeed took a stand, and he would wind up in the lion's den. He would spend 14 years in a Romanian prison, two of which was in solitary confinement in a cell that was pitch black, darkness, and isolation. It was three stories underneath the earth. He would be tortured for Christ after 14 years ransomed by friends in the West, where he would come to the States, and he would write his first book, Tortured for Christ, where he tells the story of indeed being tortured for nothing more than simply his testimony of the Lord Jesus. You say, what does this have to do with Daniel? You have one man that lived in the 20th century, another in the 6th century, You have one that was a preacher, the other was a prophet, one was a politician, and the other a pastor. But both of these men would take a stand and they would wind up indeed in the lion's den. Daniel did what he always had done. He chose to stand up and he wound up in a lion's den. But I want you to notice something. Proverbs 28 and verse 1, it says this, the righteous are bold as a lion. See, we're not called to be a bunch of bleeding sheep. We're called to be in some way roaring lambs. The righteous are bold as a lion. In fact, when you get to know Daniel, I would suggest that he didn't wind up in the lion's den, that the lions wound up in his den. See, he was bold as a lion. He was willing to go into the lion's den because he himself was bold as a lion. And this is what God has called us to be. You have Richard Wormbrand that was bold as a lion. Daniel, bold as a lion. And I would suggest we live at a time where God is looking for some Richard Wormbrands and some Daniels to stand up and speak up instead of back up, sit down and shut up. He's looking for some that will take a stand even if it costs us a lion's den. Some say, well, Phil, I I have a hard time relating to Daniel or Richard Wormbrand because honestly, none of us are going to be thrown into a lion's den for our faith. And that's true, probably. You know what? Early Christians indeed were thrown to the lions in the Roman Colosseum. And the sands of the Roman Colosseum were stained red with the blood of the martyrs. You have Daniel thrown indeed into a lion's den. Early Christians indeed thrown to the lions. Nobody here, probably, for your faith in Jesus, is going to be thrown to the lions. But you understand we really do face a lion, and that lion really is real. And the lion's den is a place of darkness where we are devoured by fear, worry, anxiety, and it's prepared by your enemy. We all go through times of anxiety and worry where we We know we need to take a stand, but we know it might cost us in some way a lion's den, and we have to choose how we will live. Will we live courageously or cowardly? Will we live to be courageous or live like a coward? And every single day, we learn that we wrestle against a real enemy. His name is Satan. He's known as the devil. And Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Understand, when Jesus talked about the devil and the apostles wrote about Satan, it was not allegorical. He's not merely a symbol of evil. He's a real intimate entity a real power that really is the enemy of God and he is the enemy of the people of God and what Peter tells us is he stalks us to stop us he wants to devour us and every single day he comes against you as your enemy in some kind of way see it's more than simply allegorical it's not simply symbolic it is literal we have a real enemy and I want you to see, Peter tells us how he wants to devour us, how he's stalking us. Have you ever watched a lion stalk his prey? So uh, I'm on Instagram. I don't know if you're not on Instagram. There's these reels that just randomly pop up on your, on your reels. They're videos. And you know your phone. Your phone knows you better than your friends. Yeah, it it knows you intimately because it sees everything you click on and there's algorithms in there and if you click on a video, it will make sure to send you more videos. I don't know why, but all my videos right now are lions stalking their prey, (laughs) hunting their prey. Click on it one time, all of a sudden I'm getting all these videos. So my favorite program as a child was Mutual of Omaha's, oh, there's other kids in the 80s here, I can see, yeah, that's right. This was before we had 149 channels to choose from, four, five, and nine on a good day, a sunny day, 41. It's kind of cloudy, kind of fuzzy, but you could kind of see it if you looked hard, okay? So once a week, Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom, you'd go on these safaris in Africa. It's one of my favorite programs, and you'd anticipate all day long, hoping it would be the lions or maybe the leopards. And then sometimes you'd get there, and it's finally on, and it's flamingos really? 30 minutes of flamingos? I want to see the lions. I want to see them hunt. Yeah, some kids never fully grow up. So I click on it. and Now I get all these videos of lions hunting their prey. Here's what I want you to see. They're slowly stalking their prey. They're studying their prey. Do you know Satan studies you? He stalks you because he wants to devour you, to stop you. But did you know it says in 1 John 4 and verse 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? You don't need to be fearful of him. He's fearful of you. He knows that you're a danger to his kingdom. Listen, as a child of God, filled with the spirit of God, you are a threat to the enemy. That was Daniel. He was a threat in this Babylonian city to the enemy. He lived dangerously. No, it wasn't merely Daniel going down the lion's den. These lions were in his den. The righteous are bold as a lion. I want you to see how you can live boldly, even... In this Babylonian society that sees increasingly hostility toward Christianity, number one is this, Daniel had the character of God. He could be bald as a lion, even in the lion's den, because he had the character of God. What is character? Your character is not simply what you do, it is what you are. See, we do what we do because we are what we are. What you are defines what you do. And you have Daniel who had the character of God even living in this ungodly city, in this Babylonian society of depravity and debauchery. Look at what it says now in Daniel 6 and verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom, 120 satraps, to be over the whole kingdom. Now, Daniel is an aged man by this time. He came to this city as a teenager, as a captive of Nebuchadnezzar. He has outlived Nebuchadnezzar. He's outlived all the Babylonian kings. He's now outlived the Babylonian kingdom. There's a new kingdom that has now emerged. We know it in history as the Persian Empire. So it's very early in the Persian Empire. And as a man now in his 80s, he is once again, been named to the king's administration. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss apparently this administration had a problem with corruption. I don't know that sounds familiar so some things never change. Yeah, politicians seem to be all the same. Doesn't matter when they live. So you have the swamp. You've heard of the swamp in Washington. Well, they had the swamp in the Persian Empire, and the king knew that some within his administration was stealing money, that he was suffering a lot. They were stealing from the public treasury and the skimming off the top of the, the taxes. And so he's trying to figure out who it is and how to stop suffering this loss. Then Daniel distinguished himself from the governors and satraps. So 120 regions throughout the kingdom. And over these 120 regions, satraps, or we might call them governors, and so the flow chart organizationally went 120. And over the 120, there were three, of which Daniel was one. So each of the three had about 40 direct reports, right? And so here's what's going on. Daniel sets himself apart from all the others, it says, because of an excellent spirit that was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. The king realizes Daniel's an honest man. He's the only one I can really trust. He's the only one that's not going to steal from me. So I might just go ahead and set him over all of them. Well, you better believe all of a sudden these other men, it caught their attention because they're about to lose their position and they're about to get caught in their corruption. So the governor and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So what happens? These other men hire Magnum P.I. to follow him around. (laughs) Magnum P.I., again, we're going back to the 80s here. I'm sorry if you're a Gen Z, you've never heard of Magnum P.I., You have no idea what you missed out on. These were the the glory days of television. Okay, I don't know who the magnum P.I. would be today. A private investigator. Okay, let's just go there. A P.I. So they bugged his phone. They bugged his house. They got a P.I. that's trying to, you know, hack his computer and find out if he's been on the dirty website or, if, you know, if he's stolen any money or done anything wrong. They want to bring accusation against him. They want to bring some charge against this man. But after bugging his phone and hacking his computer and trying to uncover Any accusation whatsoever, they come to the conclusion, this guy's squeaky clean. I mean, the only thing we can say about him is he really does love his God, like he's the real deal. His walk matches his talk. I mean, his life matches his lips. If we're gonna find any accusation against him, we're gonna have to do it related to the law of his God. Let me ask you something. Is the worst thing anybody could say about you is that you really do love Jesus. Man, I can't stand them, they really love Jesus. Man, I'll take that, how about you? Let me ask you something, if your phone could talk, because you know your phone knows you better than your friends. Your phone sees everything you click on. Your phone knows everywhere you go. It's tracking your movements, you know that, right? It knows you better than anybody except for Jesus. Let me ask you, if your phone could talk And your phone was going to blow the whistle on you? Would your phone say the same thing as these other men? Wow, we can find no fault in him. I mean, we can't bring any accusation against him. Man, he he really loves Jesus. I mean, he really, really does pursue the Lord. That's what Daniel, Daniel is like living for God in such a way that they can't find any accusation to bring against him other than he really loves God. He really, really does. And I would hope that maybe that would be the worst thing they could say about me, the worst thing they could say about you, because ultimately you have Daniel who has this character of God that doesn't change. See, the character of God is holy. The character of God is righteous. The character of God doesn't change. It's Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. And consequently, if we are indeed the born-again children of God, and we have the Spirit, of God, and we now bear the image of God, then we ought to live with the character of God, which is righteous, which is holy, which is blameless. Listen, Daniel's godly integrity made him a threat to his enemies. Oh yeah, they were threatened by Daniel. You know why? Because they realized he's not going to participate in our corruption. He can't be bought. He can't be bribed. What is integrity? Integrity is this. Integrity is simply choosing to do right, even if you thought you could get away with doing wrong. That's integrity. Integrity is who you really are when nobody else is watching. Integrity is who you really are in your private life. See, Daniel was not living a double life. He was who he said he was. He was who everybody else thought he was. And it was his integrity And see, integrity is simply this. It's refined in every decision, and it's defined by every decision. When you could get away with doing wrong, you choose instead to do right. That was Daniel. And I'm going to tell you something. When you choose indeed to live a godly life and you pursue a holy life, not everyone's going to cheer for you. No, not, not, not in this Babylonian society that's increasingly hostile toward true Christianity. No, the reality is some people are gonna be mad at you. They're not gonna like you. They're gonna be enemies because of Christ in you. It's because of what you stand for. That's now Daniel. He's made some very powerful enemies because of what he stands for, because his character will not allow him to participate in this kind of corruption, and you better believe they are threatened by him now. Do you understand that a powerful life is a holy life? As a child of God, you have spiritual authority, you have spiritual dominion, and when you are walking in a life that is holy and pursuing a life that is holy, you better believe you carry with you in the heavenly realm spiritual authority. You're now a threat to the enemy. And that is Daniel, a threat to the enemy, his integrity is now a danger to the enemy. Proverbs 28 verse 1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous is bold as a lion. See what's happening is God is comparing and contrasting those with a guilty conscience versus one that doesn't have a guilty conscience. Says the wicked flee when no one's even pursuing. Always looking over their shoulder, afraid of getting caught. They got something to hide. So I remember back in the 90s, back in the day, when I was a Kansas City cop, and I'd be driving down the road in my Mark police car, Mark police cruiser, I am minding my own business, and you know I have my priorities, and it's not pulling anybody over, it's going to 7-Eleven, getting a donut and a cup of coffee. <laughs> well, it's what you think, that's all we do. No, I'd be minding my own business, driving down the road, and all of a sudden I'd see a car just take off, gone. They see me and gone. Like I wasn't gonna pull you over. I didn't even know you were there, but now I do. <laughs> it's the guilty flee when no one pursue. I wasn't pursuing you. Obviously, you've got something to hide, don't you? So that's a picture of people with a guilty conscience. They, they don't have any freedom, no liberty, constant worry, constant anxiety, because they're worried about being caught, being exposed. On the other hand, the righteous are bold as a lion, meaning you got nothing to hide. you got no worries. A clean conscience is freedom. This is Daniel. He's now bold as a lion. He has a clean conscience. He's got nothing to hide here. I want you to see that your life either reflects the culture around you or Christ in you. So ask yourself this question. Again, it's not what your friends say. What would your phone say? Because your phone knows. Does your life reflect more of the culture around you or Christ in you? See, we live at a time, what I call chameleon Christians, they change their colors. Chameleons camouflage themselves. Chameleons are amazing animals. I told you I was a mutual of Omaha's wild kingdom kid, okay? So chameleons, they blend into their surroundings. They can go from green to blue to shades of aqua. They're amazing, remarkable animals. They know how to camouflage themselves to blend into their surroundings. Let me ask you, are you a camouflage Christian? Are, are you a chameleon? Do you just kind of blend in when God has told us to stand out? The, the, you, you look more like the culture around you than Christ in you, meaning you live one way and talk one way and act one way around your church friends and a different way around your work friends or you act one way around your beer drinking friends and a completely different way around your, your family. See? That's a chameleon Christian. I, I, I act one way here, act a different way here. Like, like I, I act one way here and a different way here. That's just blending in. I'm, I'm camouflaging myself. That wasn't Daniel, he had the character of God. It was timeless. The character of God defined him in all times, all of his life, he was always the same person, regardless of who he was around, regardless of where he was, regardless of where he went, the character of God is why he was righteous. Righteous are bold as a lion. Now, verse 10, it says this. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, now check this out. These men knew that they couldn't get any dirt on Daniel, so what did they do? They planned a set up, A trap. So they go to the king and they say, King, you are awesome. Like you are amazing. And you understand that flattery ought to be a clue to you. Like somebody with an ego is easily manipulated by flattery. So they come to the king and they say, King, you're amazing. You're awesome. In fact, you're almost like a god. I mean, you're kind of like a deity. And we think to honor you that you ought to sign a decree. And we'll, we'll write the statute, but you, you need to be the one to sign it. We think to honor you that, that, that we ought to make a law that nobody in the kingdom, the entire kingdom, to pray to any God for 30 days except you. And the king thought to himself, well, yeah, I am pretty awesome, aren't I? I really am. It's only for 30 days. I'm not like God, but I am kind of like a God, right? I mean, I'm the king. I'm the most powerful man on the earth. So, they pulled his strings. They manipulated him because of his ego. He signs this law that nobody in the entire kingdom can pray to any God except this man, this Persian king. And I want you to see what it says in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since the early days. I want you to notice, nowhere in Scripture does it say you have to pray with your windows open. He could have prayed with his windows closed, but he didn't. Even after he knew this law was signed, he knew the implications, he chose to go home like he always had before for years and years and years and years, day after day, open his windows, point himself toward Jerusalem and pray three times a day. He refused to blend in. He refused to camouflage himself. He did not have a private faith. He did not have a quiet faith. Listen carefully. You may have a quiet personality. But God nowhere in Scripture says we're to have a quiet faith. So I've heard people say, well, I, Phil, I, I just have kind of, I'm an introvert. That's okay. God made you that way. You may be an introvert in your personality. You may have a quiet personality. You may have a private personality, but you don't see anywhere in the New Testament where we get to have a private faith just because we're a private person. My dad was a quiet person. My dad, unlike my mother, my mom was loud in a good kind of way, all right? I got my personality from my mother. My dad was quiet. He was a much quieter man. He, he was a very private person. But you know what I learned about my dad? He did not have a quiet faith. After his funeral, I had at least two, three, maybe four men he worked with for years message me and tell me about the conversations that they had had with my dad on the back of a forklift about Jesus, about the gospel, See, he was a private man, but he didn't have a private faith. He was a quiet personality, but he didn't have a quiet faith. See, he he lived with his windows wide open. You never had to wonder where my dad was going to stand, even though he didn't shout it. He did it quietly. That's what I'm talking about. It's not about becoming an extrovert if you're an introvert. Here you have Daniel that could have saved himself. He didn't have to go into a lion's den, but he's purposely choosing to take a stand. And I want you to know, we all have to make this decision. Because you might go tomorrow to the lion's den, and every time you go to work, you feel like you're walking into the mouth of the lion. Or it might be where you go to school, you feel like you're walking into the mouth of the lion. It's a place where it feels like there's hostility toward Christianity, and you feel like I have to kind of hide and blend in what I am and who I am. It may be even when you leave church and you go home, you feel like you're walking into the lion's den because you're the only one there that's trying to follow Jesus. And we all have a decision, every single one of us, will I live courageously or will I camouflage myself and live cowardly? Listen carefully, Daniel had confidence in God. He had the character of God. And I want you to see now the confidence of God. He was gonna live openly. He was gonna pray openly. Uh, I pray in every restaurant No matter how crowded it is, I always pray before I eat. Sometimes I even ask the server, can we pray for you? Anything you'd like us to pray for? Let me ask you, Do you do the napkin trick? Like, I remember at one time I was really awkward doing this. And so you accidentally drop your napkin on the floor as you reach down to pick it up. You pray in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Oh, you guys have done that too? Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm the only one, sure. That's not Daniel. He's not worried about what anybody thinks. He's not under the opinion of men. He's living confidently in God because he has the character of God. Look at Proverbs 20 and 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. I'm telling you, every single one of us need to be delivered from the fear of man. What is the fear of man? It's the fear of people's opinion. You will either live in the fear of God or you will live in the fear of man. And I will promise you, if you fear God, you will fear no man. See, when you live in the fear of man, you will easily be manipulated by people, controlled by people. Somebody's always going to be able to pull your strings. You're just a puppet on a string because you live in so much fear of what people will think about you, what they will say about you. Maybe they're going to cancel you. You guys, I'm telling you, you have to do this over and over again. Even I do. After all these years of walking with Jesus, after all these years of preaching the word of God and preaching the truth of God, every one of us have to make a renewed decision over and over again. It's never a one and done. Will I choose courage or will I choose cowardice? What will people say about me? What will they think of me? See, right now at this very moment as I'm preaching, I could worry about what you're going to think about me. Will you like me? I have to do this now more than ever. There's this time of my life in ministry, guys, I'm thankful I have a church full of wonderful saints of God that support me as their pastor and are for me as their pastor, and there are more people than ever that are for me and support me, and I am so deeply thankful that I don't feel like I have to go alone. I'm not gonna go solo. I don't have to stand alone, we're gonna stand together. But on the other hand, at this time of my life in ministry, I got more people than ever that are against me. They don't like me. Every time I turn around, I hear somebody says something ugly, nasty, untrue, unkind about me. See, we all have to make the decision, even I do, will I live in the fear of God or the fear of man? In the end, I want you to see not everyone's going to cheer for you if you choose to live godly and stand for what is true. But in the end, all that matters is what God says about you. What God says about you is all that matters because that's what's true. That's the only thing that's true. When people say unkind things about you, Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. You run to the truth. And it's the truth that will set you free. No, you don't get to judge me. And whether or not you like me, in the end, will not matter to me because I am living for eternity. I will not live in the fear of man. I will live in the fear of God. And as long as I'm walking in the fear of God, I will fear no man. Cancel me. Go ahead. Cancel me. See, the reality is the righteous are bold as a lion. You can't cancel me, and guess what? The world cannot cancel you. To put it in our modern vernacular, these men were trying to cancel Daniel, but they couldn't cancel him because he was God's man. He wasn't their man. He wasn't under the fear of man. He was living under the fear of God, which means you put God in his rightful place, and then you put everybody else in their rightful place. But if you put everybody else in God's place, all of a sudden... That which you fear and who you fear is that which will control you. See, Daniel's courage to live for God came from his confidence in God. I know who my deliverer is. I know who my Savior is. I know ultimately who's in charge of my life. I completely trust in God's sovereignty. See, when you trust in God's sovereignty, you can live with certainty in a world gone crazy. Am I the only one that feels like this world's going crazy? I mean, this world feels like it's going crazy. But I want you to see, as a child of God, you can live with certainty. You can live confidently in a world that is going crazy. Listen carefully. When you're in the lion's den, sometimes for taking a stand, not for doing wrong, but like Daniel, for doing what is right, trust in God's sovereignty. What is the sovereignty of God? It simply means this. God is in control of your life. God is in control of your life. And when it feels like the world is out of control, you don't have to be out of control. When everybody else is out of control, when the world's going crazy, you can live with certainty because you're focused on eternity. And the God of Calvary, He has a right to rule my life and His rule in my life is always right. No matter the price, it'll all be worth the price. Trust in God's sovereignty no matter how costly, he is in control of your life. This is what Daniel's thinking. Daniel's thinking, I may go into the lion's den and I might get devoured, but then I get to go see God. So either way, I win. See, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It's a win-win. He had no fear. He could live confidently because he was trusting in God's sovereignty. God was writing his story. And no matter how difficult this suffering may be, in the end, we win. In the end, they live happily ever after. And Daniel knew that to be true. Verse 11, look at what it says. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? See, they've set the trap and now they're springing the trap. The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they believed the king was infallible. He's perfect, which means if he signed something in the law, it could not be changed. It couldn't be revoked. It was irreversible because he can't make a mistake. They've set the trap. Now they're springing the trap. So they answered and said before the king that Daniel Who is one of the captives from Judah does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you've signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. Notice he realizes he's been used, he's been manipulated, he's been tricked. He's not mad at Daniel; he's mad at himself. And he sets his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He basically gets his legal team together. He gets all his attorneys together, says, guys, is there anything we can do to let Daniel off the hook? Show me a loophole in the law. Show me the technicality. We can let him out on a technicality. All day long, he's with his legal team, and they realize by the end of the day, there's nothing they can do. Then these men approach the king And said to the king, no, O king, that is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no decree, statute, which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed i want you to see daniel not merely in the lion's den but these lions are now in daniel's den because he had the character of god he had the confidence of god and he was fully consecrated to god we live at a time of committed christians but not consecrated christians and there is a difference between commitment and consecration See, consecration is that which you're willing to die for. Give me a list of things. Go home and do this today. Don't have to give it to me. That was just a euphemism. What are the list of things in your life that you would die for? See, that which you're willing to lay down your life for is that which you're consecrated to. And Daniel was willing to lay down his life for God because he'd already given up his life to God. See, that's consecration. And I want you to see that when you finally have surrendered your life completely to God, that becomes freedom because nobody can now take anything from you that really matters because you've already given it all away, even your life. Daniel did not know that he would survive the night. Now, we know he does now, but he didn't know going down. He thought this night he might take a stand and get devoured in the lion's den. I want you to see something. Listen carefully. You do not have a faith worth living for if you don't have a faith worth dying for. Church, in 22 years, I've watched a lot of people come and I've watched a lot of people go. And in some cases, people stop following Jesus. You know why? Because they were never consecrated. They were simply committed. And I will promise you at some point, the cost of following Jesus will be too high, and you will stop following Jesus if you're merely committed. Think about all the commitments you've made that you no longer are committed to. Think about that. In the last 20 years, 20 years ago, what were you committed to that today you're not committed to? See, commitments come and go. Commitments change which is why nowhere in Scripture does God ever ask us to make a commitment. What he asks us, though, is to pick up a cross, Luke 9, 23. Take up your cross to follow him. A cross is about a crucifixion. It's about a consecration. And I will promise when you have a faith worth dying for, only then will you have a faith worth standing for and worth living for. This is what Richard Wormbrand said in his book, Tortured for Christ. A faith that can be destroyed by suffering is not faith see if your faith can be destroyed in the lion's den you never truly had saving faith you thought intellectually or emotionally but you never truly were consecrated deeply because the only thing suffering does is refine faith that does not ruin faith see suffering does not destroy your faith suffering simply develops your faith Your faith is developed in the lion's den, it's not destroyed. The question is, are you consecrated? Verse 19, then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And the question is this, will you believe even in the lion's den? Imagine how terrifying that night might have been. When that stone was rolled over the top of the lion's den, pitch black darkness, Daniel could not have seen a thing, but he literally could have felt on the back of his neck the breath of a lion. Church, we live at a time of darkness where it feels like the darkness Is descending and the light is disappearing and for some of us we're gonna be in the darkness of a lion's den for nothing other than living for Jesus for taking a stand but I want you to remember something even when you can't see God God can still see you. Even when you can't see to hang on to God, it's God as a child of God that is still hanging on to you. And what was true before you went in the lion's den is still true today in the lion's den. And wherever you find yourself in life, no matter how dark, no matter how hard, God promises one day, a resurrection if you choose a consecration. And the light, I promise, will shine again. What do you do in the darkness of the lion's den? Don't doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. It is still true. And what God says about you is the only thing that will matter not what people say about you, not even in this life what happens to you. God promises that if we choose to follow him, no matter how hard, if we choose a cross, not a commitment, on the other side of consecration is a resurrection. There will be a prize that will be worth any price. Would you bow with me right now, wherever you're watching, worshiping from, I want to pray for us. Jesus, I pray for every person today under the sound of my voice. The time when it feels like the world is saying, sit down, back up, shut up. But God, you're calling us all to speak up, to stand up, choose courage over cowardice. Instead of trying to save ourselves, be willing to lose ourselves and give ourselves. And right now, there's an area of your life, and you know God is calling you to take a stand. And you would much rather just blend in. Choose what is easy. And I want to pray for you right now, if you'd allow me to do that, over at the other campuses, even online, right in your living room, this Lee Summit Auditorium. I want to stand right now with you, and I want to pray with you. Let's lock arms together, church. Something in your life right now you're facing, you know deep down, that you need to take a stand. Somebody you need to talk to. Not going to blend in at work, school. Just stand up right now. Jesus, you see all of us on our feet. Because if we can't stand here, we're going to stand nowhere. Today, we refuse to back up. We refuse the retreat. And I pray that you would raise up a generation like Richard Wormbrand, like Daniel. like that first generation of Christians that would stop at nothing and suffer anything for the cause of Christ. And right now I pray blessing over every man and woman here. I pray God that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit that same Spirit that was in Daniel that now is in us that we would walk in your unchanging character, that it would define all that we do, every conversation, every decision, that we would walk confidently in a world full of uncertainty, and we would take up the cross and lay down our life for the one that gave his life Jesus, I pray blessing over each one of us. Holy Spirit, boldness in the days ahead that we would walk in the fear of God, that we would fear no man. And all the people of God said, amen. Amen. Give Jesus the glory today with me, would you? Praise him.
0: Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe. And share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at AbundantLifeLS.